Grace to you, everyone. Thanks for joining us this morning. As you get your Bibles ready to Ephesians chapter 1, and as you crease those pages, we'll be focusing on Ephesians 1 verses 15 to 17. A quick word of thanks to Brother Wally for bringing the word last week, Sunday. Thank you, Brother Wally. Um, I'm sure you've had this experience, right, over the last two years of forgetting your mask. Have you done that? Have you forgotten your mask in the car or at home? You get to the shop and you realize, oh, I've got no mask. So either you're quickly making a trip back to the car or worse, have you been caught so undone that you have to buy a mask from someone? <laughs> I think what's even worse is when you find one maybe crumpled up under, under the seat or you've had to borrow a mask, a used mask, just to go get a bread and milk. <laughs> And it's even more crazy now because outside you're allowed no masks and inside you have to wear masks. It just gets so confusing sometimes. You just forget. You just forget. Um, oh, forgetfulness, it happens. Um, I can recall forgetting. I was doing a home project. I needed five mil plug mounts. And I don't have so off I go to the, the hardware. This particular hardware shop didn't have 5mm uh, point plugs, so I had to go to another hardware shop. I eventually purchased the 5mm with my mask, get the 5mm plugs, get home, only to realize that I already had 5mm point plugs in another packet, of which I only used two. I had 20 left in the garage. You know, and you just think about the... The waste of time, the waste of petrol, the waste, now double cash. I've got two packets of 5 mil point plugs uh, just to get a small project done. I mean, ugh, what a waste of time. It can be so frustrating sometimes when our forgetfulness catches us up like that. And, well, I say this because even as Christians, we can forget what we have in Christ. We will forget if we're not reminded, if it's not practiced, if it's not seen or heard or read. And thank God for Ephesians for reminding us what we have in Christ, what we already have. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Amen? And if we're not careful, we were poised to forget what we have in Christ. And when we forget what we have in Christ... We make foolish decisions, which then incur a, a negative economy for our lives, a waste of time, a waste of emotion, only to remember, hey, this is what I have in Christ. So with this in mind, read now with me Ephesians 1, 15 to 17. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And just so far, may God bless the reading of his word today. So I think what this passage summarizes, right, is that those who have Every spiritual blessing in Christ, which is chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. That's what we have, right? What do we need to do? 
keep praying. Paul can't stop praying and praying many little prayers. For what exactly? For God's help to know God better, who has richly blessed them. So the question is, how do you pray for someone who already has everything in Christ? Here's the answer. You pray that they may know God better, not forget God, not think wrongly about God. So thank God for Ephesians because it's going to keep us from forgetting or thinking wrongly about what we have and making and you know preventing mitigating a foolish life. Let's ask God to do that now as we look at this word together. Let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, we ask that you would please come and reveal to us now. Give us that knowledge of you. Penetrate our slow and hard hearts. Clear our minds and our hearts. Give us hearts that listen well. Good hearts. Give us your Holy Spirit and all his fullness. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Now, we've just completed actually one sentence of 202 words from Paul, right? Uh, we completed that great and glorious sentence that we were gloriously blessed, gloriously redeemed, gloriously sealed, right? And now from verse 15, we start a new sentence and it is just it, well, almost as long, almost as long as the first sentence. And um, this one's not quite as long. All right. But he says there, for this reason, I pray. For, for this reason, I pray. Basically, you know, on God's great mountainous work of salvation, which he accomplished. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Based on that, I pray. So these two are very much connected. It's immediately connected and they are inseparable. If a sinner is saved and saved only because of the electing work of the Father, only because of the predestined work of the Father, only because of the adoption by the Father, only because of the redemptive work of His Son, only because of the sealing work of the Holy Spirit, okay, How does Paul, how do we know that we have this assurance of spiritual blessing? Okay. How do we know? Well, he describes to us that he, two things occurred. Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people. So two things occurred. Because of this glorious work in them, and based on that, having the assurance of all the blessings in Christ, right? They did two things. Number one, the church in Ephesus had put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And they kept putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They continued trusting in the Lord. There was an initial trust in Christ that produced a life of trusting in Him every day. 
trusting over and over and over. And Paul is now heard. Now remember, you might not know, but the context of Paul in Ephesus goes back four years. He spent basically a year and a half there planting this church. He's never seen them again. He doesn't know who's in this church. It's obviously grown. So when he's writing this letter, he doesn't know who's actually going to read this letter and hear this letter. All right? But he's heard now, via, via. Because he's only in, in, in house arrest in, in Rome, and he's allowed visitors, and people have told him, look, the faith that started has continued up to this point. That's what he's heard. And he's also heard that there is love for all God's people. It's astounding. The riches of Christ, the mountain, the glorious mountain of God's redeeming work has produced this in this people, in this person, and including himself, Paul, but including the people at Ephesus, that this church has an indiscriminate love for every saint. It doesn't matter what saint is before them. The Ephesian believer loves them. It might be a young believer, they get loved. It might be an old believer, they get loved. It might be a completely different to them, but they get loved. It might be a woman, it might be a man. They don't pick and choose. This is all because the biblical love in them is being poured out. And that's what Christ's love, when Christ's love takes its seat in a believer, love pours out. Love starts to move you to serve. And so why does Paul say these two assurances? Because they are inseparable. They are connected. Trusting in Christ will inevitably produce love. You will love others who themselves have cast themselves into Christ's mercy. It will happen. It won't be easy. (laughs) It is hard to empty yourself out to all people without discrimination. Yes? I mean, and we do it all the time. We do it. We, We dish out our love with preferences and we still call ourselves believers. We do it. We find it, you know, nothing wrong in trusting Christ. Nothing. But we'll find a thousand things wrong with another. We'll be selective with our love for others. Some are more easy to love than others. But friends, we cannot settle for a loveless faith. The two are connected. And the report to Paul in Rome is that the faith they have in Jesus and the love they have for the church it's measurable, it's communi- It's evident. It's evident. And friends, there's no other explanation for this faith and this love. There's no other explanation than what these people have received. It's because of the spiritual blessings in Christ that this faith is evident, that this love is tangible. There's no other reason why they would have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other reason why they would love everybody in the Lord Jesus Christ without the mountains of blessings they have received in Christ. And would it, would it, 
would it be our assurances as individuals and even as a church, amen? May they be tangible among us. We just throw ourselves on Christ and we throw ourselves on Christ always. And it doesn't matter who God puts in front of us in Christ. We will love them. We will love them. So, Paul, being assured of the spiritual blessings God gives in Christ. What does Paul do? What does Paul do being assured? And knowing that they can be assured of these blessings in Christ. What does he do? Verses 16 to 7. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So the, the simple answer is he, he prays. Prays. It's in plural. It's not one prayer. It's many prayers. Many prayers. All the time prayers. And while he's praying, he can't stop giving thanks to God for them. And now some, some might think at this point, well, okay, Paul, enough now. I mean, the job is done. They're saved. Done. But there, there is a problem with that kind of thinking. To be a missionary in Paul's mind is to plant a church, to establish it, okay? And then the work isn't done. You keep praying. He, 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 I mean, can't he just back off a bit? I mean, make it every other prayer, make it every other day, make it every other month, then pray. But think about it. Think about it. What has happened in Ephesus is what Paul lives for. God revealed to him the great salvation, the eternal purpose of Christ, right? God revealed it to him. Then God ordained the means of, of, of preaching and laboring day and night, privately and publicly. You saw the math last time we met. What's the math of the gospel? One in four. One in four will have a good heart and have the good listening and have good believing. One in four. That's not good math for the gospel. But regardless, he's preached, he's prayed, he's sowed, he's worked hard. Okay? And now in Ephesus, this has come to life. They have faith in Christ. They have a love for one another. Everything is happening. And he can't but help give thanks to God for what's taking place. He is dominated by thanksgiving. And he is not going to check out. He's not going to let it go. He's still connected. Despite the distance of four years, despite the physical distance, he is very much connected in heart and in spirit. Now, you'll know parents having babies. If you've had a baby, you have a, a very close relationship with a gynecologist, um, prenatal and postnatal. It's a very expensive relationship, but you have to have it. <laughs> you have to have it. Um, or a midwife, maybe. But for in our case, in my case, it was a gynecologist, right? I mean, a critical role in the birth of our four kids. Right. But four years later, 
not really. Not really. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And so are you. I mean, that's kind of how it is with babies. That there's a gynecologist, critical role at birth, four years later, not so much. But Paul does not have that kind of view when he births a Christian, when, when God births a Christian through him, when God births a church in this way, not at all. Is it now the time for him to disengage? He will never disengage. And that's the way he expresses his continual prayer for them, praying for them all the time. And this takes a very dominant part in his life. A very dominant part in his life. But Paul can't stop giving thanks to God for the believers and the love that they have for one another. And what does he mention for them exactly, specifically? He says in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Okay? So the main idea is this, that God might give them help in knowing God. That God might give them help in knowing God. Those who have every spiritual blessing in Christ... He prays that God may help them know Him better. <laughs> now, Paul describes God, look, as the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right? Again, God, Paul, sorry, Paul can't think of God without thinking of the Lord, His Son. It's, it's all about that. All our blessings are mediated to and through His Son, Christ. Paul cannot address God without thinking of Christ. The one who rules over our salvation, Lord. He is also the glorious Father. There's been a significant change in our relationship to this one. A change has come. It's unique. It's a father-child relationship. By adopting, the, by adopting us through His Son, we're able to enter under God's fatherhood. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, Father. Verses 3. Verses 2, verses 6, and it is glorious. He is a glorious Father, and that's who Paul prays to, and that's the one who we pray to. Amen? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And what does Paul pray for to this glorious Father? How should we pray to, uh, for those who have every spiritual blessing already? This is what we pray for, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, here it is, comma, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now let's get to the bottom of that, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. All right, is he saying that we are to receive the Holy Spirit again? Because we've already received it. Remember, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, we were sealed. By this promised Holy Spirit. Deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. No, he's not saying you now need to receive the Holy Spirit again. Okay? We already have the Holy Spirit sealed, pledged, and have him already. But he is praying that this Holy Spirit will give us something only the Holy Spirit can give. And what is he praying that the Holy Spirit in us give us? And that it is this, the revelation of God soaked in the knowledge of God. That's his ultimate hope, that they would deepen their knowledge 
of God. They have everything in Christ, right? We have everything in Christ. They have everything in Christ. He has everything in Christ. And he's still praying the priority that they deepen their knowledge of him, that they go and investigate, go and see the length, the depth, the breadth, the height of God's love. And in fact, that they, that's the only way they, they, they grow. They need this kind of wisdom, not just any kind of wisdom, not just any kind of re- revelation. They need this Holy Spirit wisdom and revelation. Okay? Now, our clearest revelation, the clearest revelation that God has given us in this era we live in the New Testament, right, is what has been revealed on the cross. The clearest revelation that God has given us of himself is what he has revealed on the cross, the gospel. Right? Now, the Bible calls that the wisdom of God. The world calls that foolishness. Okay, but God calls it wisdom. But if we want to know God in his most clearest expression, the Holy Spirit must give us his wisdom in that cross. We need spiritual wisdom which unfolds spiritual revelation. You can't find a clearer revelation of God outside the gospel. It is the gospel at the cross. If you want to see God clearly, you must come to the cross. That's where God is revealed most clearly. And that's what Paul is praying for you, believer. The only hope for you to know God better is to pray that the Holy Spirit help you with his wisdom in the cross and the revelation of the Father in his Son. Paul prays that they would not just have a head knowledge, right? The word knowledge here, it's not just an intellectual knowledge, a knowing of God, but a true personal intimate knowledge of God. You know, you know that person. You're not just aware of the person. It's a personal knowledge. Paul is not just praying that they have everything in Christ and that they find something new. No, they really have everything. He's praying that they would run after what they already have. He's praying that with the Holy Spirit's help, they would get to know God better, God himself. God is the center of this knowledge. It all squarely sits on him. So the point is, they will not know him better, even as believers, if the Holy Spirit does not help them with spiritual knowledge and wisdom. Now think now, what does that say about our capacity in Christ? We still need help. We will never graduate from needing help to know God. We will never circumnavigate God. And our circumnavigation depends on the Holy Spirit. Amen? What does this reveal about God himself? The divine architect of the glorious designer. He, he didn't design it that we would ever become complacent in him. He doesn't design it to be that way. He's not the kind of God that you can reach a knowledge and and just plateau about it. You can never be satisfied with that. And that's his intent. Even in Christ, even united with him in his death, his resurrection, seated with him in the heavenlies, even there, there is a gap between 
our present knowledge of God and who he really is. And, and get this, and he wants to be personally involved in helping you and I close that knowledge gap while we live. What kind of God is that? Who wants to be the reason and the means to close in the knowledge gap? It's beautiful. Thank you, Ephesians. So what do we do with this? What difference does this make? Okay, first of all, know this. Know this. That. Friends, the knowledge of God, where does it begin? It begins by knowing Christ and Him crucified. There is no other way to know G-O-D. There is no other hope of growing deeper in G-O-D without coming through the knowledge of Christ and Him crucified. John 17.3 This is eternal life that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.2 I determined to know nothing else but Christ and Him crucified. There's no other way to know God. Any, any religion that steps away from Christ and Him crucified has no knowledge of God. Because it begins with Christ and Him crucified. The gospel is the beginning of true knowledge of God. Do you have it? Have you been brought to a place of knowing and knowing this? Knowing it rationally, but also knowing it personally. Believing in it. Having a faith in it. Putting your faith in that one. So, the other thing we can take home from this, these two verses is that a deeper knowledge is not only available, but it must increase in my life. Ephesians 1, God has revealed the depth of himself through his son's work on the cross. Alright? And it opened up the knowledge of his will. It was his kind intention to make himself known in salvation. And the cross opens the mine to the mountain of grace and its treasures in it. And we are to enter into it and lose ourselves in it. And we're not alone in this because the third thing we see in this passage is that the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our counselor. He will as the Bible says, lead us to all truth, praying and pleading that the Holy Spirit would come and do just this. We have a provider for wisdom and revelation, the Holy Spirit. So continue to pray for that help. That's the primary way we will, we will receive wisdom and revelation. And what does that imply? That implies that our deeper knowledge of God is not going to automatically happen you know, through osmosis. The fact that Paul is praying that they grow deeper is implying that, listen, it's not like going down a slide. It just happens. Growing in the knowledge of God is like climbing a mountain. One foothold after the next. One handhold after the next. After the next. It's like a child eating fruit and vegetables. You keep eating your fruit and vegetables and you will grow. And if there's stuff you don't understand... 
it's just too high. It's on a shelf that you can't reach. You keep eating your vegetables. You keep eating your fruit. You keep exercising. And one day you will grow and boom, you will be able to reach that understanding. And it doesn't stop. You keep going. I want to ask you now as we approach this Easter season and this Holy Week specifically. How, how would you describe your knowledge of God, Christian? Is it something you know or is it a passion? Is it a passion? That Bible that you have in front of you, it's not God, but it is a means to God. And we are separated from Him. And He loves you. And He loves you. And He's put His love through you, to you, in words. What's that quote say? The famous quote? We come to the Word of God to get the God of the Word. <laughs> We come to the Word of God to get the God of the Word. Yes, we, we come to the Word of God. We get the facts of God. And we get God Himself. So maybe you don't know. Maybe you don't know how is your knowledge of God. Well, ask yourself this question. How much pleading are you doing to God to help you know Him better? If the Bible is cold to you, are you praying, God, give me a hunger for the Bible? Are you praying for the ones that you're discipling? Moms and dads. The worst mistake, the worst mistake for moms and dads is to assume that your kids will just get the gospel, right? They're in church, they're going to youth, they're just going to get it. No, we've got to pray that God would give them the saving knowledge of Christ and come and repent. Parents, you must also not assume that coming to Christ is it. You know, now they know everything of God. No, 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 no. Ephesians says you pray and you don't stop praying for your child. Pleading for the Holy Spirit to give them wisdom and revelation. And then the last point I want to take home. It's just, it's an observation. And I think it's, it's obviously intentional, and we mustn't overlook this. Here we have Ephesians chapter 1. We're not even finished with Ephesians chapter 1, the beginning, right? We have the sovereignty of God for half this chapter. And then we have immediately preceding after it, flowing from it, connected to it, intimately attached. We have what? We have prayer. We have the knowledge of God Himself. Right? That's interesting. That's interesting. Because what generally seems to happen is the sovereign work of God in the gospel on an individual or a group or community or family. And the next question is not how do I know Him better? The next question is what do I have to do? You know, give me some do's and don'ts. Do, do, do. This letter is not beginning with behavior. So Paul, Paul is in no hurry to get to the do's and don'ts. But we are going to get to the do's and don'ts much later in the letter. The first thing that's important. The foundation 
to even to your behavior is not do's and don'ts your foundation for living a life worthy of the calling is knowing God and knowing him intimately and personally the best people the best people doing the do's and not doing the don'ts right are those people who know God intimately and passionately and that has to be you and me. It has to be you and me. And that's why we need to pray like this. Having all the riches in Christ, what do we pray for? We pray that people, by the help of the Holy Spirit, will come to know God better. It's all about who God is. The best people doing the do's and not doing the don'ts are the people who know God intimately and passionately and that has to be us and you. Paul didn't skip over knowing who God is and praying the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit to help them know who God is. He didn't skip over that, you know, and just write a letter of do's and don'ts. And neither should we. The, our Christian life is not primarily about doing things better. Friends, it's primarily about knowing God better and having a passion for Him. Knowing God intimately is the foundation for our doing. And Paul won't let us jump it. Let's pray to God to help us. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you again for reminding us, helping us rediscover, helping us not to forget the riches we have in Christ, gloriously blessed, gloriously redeemed, gloriously sealed. And out of this mind we come praying that God, by your Holy Spirit, you would help us discover who you are. I would pray, Lord God, for any person listening today, God, please I pray that they may know you as you've revealed yourself through the cross, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, when they not just know it, but they would have it in their heart and have this faith. And connected to this dynamic faith is a real love for anyone, for anyone in Christ, for all in Christ. And this love and this faith is being expressed on a daily basis. The trust in Christ is a daily practice the love for the Christians is a daily practice. Oh God, we pray, Holy Spirit, you would grant saving knowledge to all those who are hearing this this morning. And God, we would pray that our knowledge of you would increase. This is our prayer. It's a great prayer that we give thanks for everyone and we keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may know you better. We couldn't pray a better prayer. Father, forgive us if we thought that this knowledge would come automatically. Forgive us, Lord, if we're depending on others' faith. Lord, make this real for us now going forward. If Bibles are closed, if hearts are cold, Lord Jesus, please, I pray, would you renew us? We know, Lord, confessing this reluctance, confessing this weakness, confessing this ignorance, even this rebellion, all you have to do is confess it. You will give us new hearts. You will give us new fire. 
You will give us new passions. You will equip us, Father. You would be more than glad to give us a hunger for the Word, an understanding of the Word. This is your pleasure. This is your aim, to be personally involved in our growing in the Lord. Thank you, Father. And Lord, before we do anything, even today, in the name of Jesus, would it be based on our passion for you? Before we even pursue another ministry, before we pursue our activity, before we do and do our do's and don't do our don'ts, Father, I pray we would not have overlooked our, our, our time with you, our passion for you, our prayers with you, our time with God's word. Help us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.